that. And we're privileging female voice. Because this is Excellent. Garage Band, which is you know, for recording rock bands, basically, yeah. as you may know. So, uh, hi everybody, welcome to Cult the Cultural Studies Podcast, it's Toby Miller here, and I am with Liberate Tate. Hello. <laughs> In a sense. <laughs> These are two voices of Liberate Tate, maybe you could actually introduce yourselves, if that's okay. Hi, I'm Mel Evans, I'm yeah, part of the Artist Activist Collective Liberate Tate, um, which has between sort of 10 and 300 member yeah. participants yeah. Wow. who Ending we cannot them. possibly represent, but no. <laughs> no. we'll sure. uh, talk about <laughs> rather I'm, than for. And I'm Hannah Davey, um, also part of the Artists and Activists Collective. Now, we're, we're in a very exclusive quasi-ship's cabin that is also part of a pub called the Biddleton Arms. And there were just about room for 10 people in here, but not 300. <laughs> Nevertheless. So for those people who aren't familiar with it, could you tell us a wee bit about Liberate Tate, what it has done, seeks to do, is doing? Yeah, um, Liberate Tate is, well, in a nutshell, trying to persuade the Tate galleries to drop BP as, as its sponsor to try and get oil sponsorship out of the arts and the cultural estate as a whole. And the Tate galleries are here in London, which is where we're there talking. Are, yeah, How there, many are there? What do they there do? There are several different galleries. There's the Tate Modern in London, there's the Tate Britain in London, and then there are also two other galleries, one in St Ives in Cornwall oh, and uh -huh. one in Liverpool. And Liberate Tate goes into these institutions and performs art pieces of various different disciplines so we might make an installation or we might make a performance piece of this live art um, all to highlight different kind of issues around the sponsorship of the arts or things that might be happening at, at that moment in time no, so if, sorry oh, go ahead and importantly they're not we're not invited to do that they, these are unsanctioned performances that we make in gallery spaces. So we go inside the gallery and, and start our performance and then as quickly as possible transmit images and video from that performance online. So we have a kind of audience in that moment who just happens to be in the gallery and then a kind of in that live moment as well, an audience online. Um, and so for Tate, that is a, you know, it's an uninvited use of a public space and it sort of opens up a lot of different dynamics around public space and control of the space but basically we're trying to uh, challenge and kind of make antagonistic the presence of BP in the gallery so like Hannah said maybe that's going to be on the anniversary of the BP um, Gulf of Mexico disaster which actually the anniversary was just two days ago the mm. four year mm. anniversary there's been a lot happening around the world to highlight how the impacts of that spill are still being felt and so we've done things annually to mark that moment um, and to mark how BP has survived when the people and the ecosystems haven't quite so easily. Sure when you say make antagonistic <laughs> BP's presence I think you use that expression something like it could you expand on that a wee bit? Um, yeah, I mean, I think make antagonistic. We do, we do, we we are antagonistic in our in our approach, and we kind of create the com the, the conflict. We, we definitely articulate the conflict that that's between um, oil sponsorship 
and the arts and why why that doesn't make sense. I think um, before kind of going into that, it's important that we make clear that we don't um, we love the Tate and we're friends with the Tate and we respect the Tate and we don't go in kind of damage any artworks or anything like that. We make additional artworks and we add to space rather than kind of interfere with any work that's already in there. Mm -hmm. um, so we kind of like play around with what you can and can't do and push the boundaries. Um, yeah. And well, maybe we could talk about the make antagonistic in a moment, but I'm also interested in what you said, Hannah, about different disciplines that are yeah. involved in these acts. I wonder if you could say a bit more about that. Well, I guess sometimes we might leave an object behind, uh -huh. and sometimes we might not. We use, we've used voice, sound, um, we've used kind of video, mm -hmm. we've used um, performance live art, we often use oily substances, and sometimes we wear veils. Polyhedronous veils. Yes. <laughs> and it depends on what we're sort of talking about at that right. time yeah. and what the performance is about. Um, but I guess we always leave some sort of residue, whether that's an echo or an object or some oily, an oily mess, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. or a body covered in oil, um, or, or a large... Um, turbine blade or I mean we try and kind of we, we, we don't have a sort of fixed repertoire of what we do yeah, we're yeah, always trying yeah. to add to it but we, yeah. we generally we leave a residue I would say wow. yeah yeah that's interesting <laughs> and I've read coverage of some of your activities and cognate entities in lots of different newspapers around the world, there's a lot of interest in this, it seems to me. I mean, you can read it in the Spanish press, the French press, Latin American press. Yeah, I guess I would say that oil sponsorship is, you know, corporate sponsorship of all kinds is under criticism in different parts of the world at the moment. And oil or mining sponsorship in particular is getting a lot of attention because perhaps it's on that kind of cusp where tobacco and arms sponsorship were, say, 15, 20 years ago. Yeah, it's the tobacco of the 21st century. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Yeah. So the oil industry is more and more going to extremes and therefore more and more under criticism and losing public support. It goes to the gallery, it sponsors the galleries to gain public support because it's a way of associating itself with sort of prestigious kind of national favorite cultural institutions and holding that kind of pride of place mm. in hearts and minds whereas as it loses support because of the dreadful impacts around the world it, it, as it needs that more and more that also again comes under closer scrutiny um, and yeah we you know there's been different cases around the world of people challenging oil sponsorship in Norway in Canada um, so it's really, yeah, it's really something that is quite live globally. Oh sure, but I've also noticed international interest in what Liberate Tate does in particular. It seems to have captured the imagination even of people who may not know what the Tate is. You know, the, not just the issue, but the way you go about it seems to be quite distinctive. Yeah, I guess, because there, um, there are precedents and there are, um, you know, kind of 
ways that our activities and our performance work relates to things that other artists and activists are doing. Um, it's funny because there was actually um, a performance intervention in a gallery in 1969 by a group called the Guerrilla Art Action oh, sure. Group, um, where interestingly they actually they were um, protesting the presence of the. Uh, Governor Rockefeller on the board of the Museum of Modern Art in New York and they actually went inside the gallery with bags of blood, of pig's blood, hidden under their clothes which they then um, pierced and spilled inside the gallery and I was actually one of the performers who in one of the early Liberate Tate performances mm. carried uh, rubble sacks full of oil under bouffant dresses attached with strap-on harnesses for all those out there who want to try it at home. Is <laughs> um, it safe for the children and what colours does it come <laughs> Well, molasses is very safe for children. <laughs> um, and we spilled this oil out yeah. from under our dresses, the, the pair of us, as a kind of reenactment of the BP oh, spill inside the gallery yeah. was one English performer, one American performer, we were kind of re it was called Tony and Bobby, kind of reenacting that moment of BP trying to cover up the spill in the media. Um, but we didn't at that point know what Guerrilla Art Action Group had done 40 years before us. Right. So it was kind of interesting to then look back and say, oh, See, there are these well, resonances. I wondered about resonances with US institutional critique by groups like the V Girls and the Gorilla Girls, and whether they are of interest to you or their influences or yeah. you influence them. Well, I don't know if we influence them. I'd like maybe one. <laughs> We'd day. love that, but well, um, I guess the V Girls don't really exist anymore. Yeah. But do you know what I mean? The Gorilla Girls. We've we've had we've had kind of um, interactions with the Gorilla Girls. Uh -huh. They were at the um, the South Bank Meltdown, um, fest, not Meltdown Festival. The 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 Arts and Activism Festival they had there that was curated by Yoko Ono. Mm -hmm. um, Liberate Tate wasn't invited to that, so we went anyway, and um, we did a kind of um, a a guerrilla kind of presentation, I guess, mm -hmm. um, in between different other people's talks that were happening between a panel debate and something else. But also the guerrilla girls were. They were giving a presentation of their own, and we went along to that. Mm -hmm. And we asked, we'd already kind of communicated with them in advance. Mm -hmm. We asked mm -hmm. them questions, they were kind of they were fully aware of the situation. Um, Shell was sponsoring the South Bank Centre at the time, and so they started talking about that as part of their work. We later went to one of their workshops where we developed our kind of performance uh, presentation intervention that we were about to do. So it kind mm. of like oh, that's interesting. we kind of like worked with them, and they kind of facilitated what we were doing a little bit, and it was kind yeah. of nice to have that sort of interaction with them, all with their gorilla masks on. It's great. Go ahead. Yeah. And we've kind of also from using the our veils, our black veils, which mm. we wear not always, but in quite a few performances, um, that we kind of find are a really useful way. Um, one of the things that we're really, I guess, passionate about in our process is that it really does involve a lot of people and it's kind of, you know, people come and participate in a Liberate Tate performance who perhaps either haven't done any kind of activist intervention before or haven't been involved in any kind of artistic process of that kind before. Mm -hmm. And we're, you know, 
really want to create a space that feels sort of safe and enabling mm. to go in and do this sort of slightly challenging mm, um, sure. thing to do. But, you know, very sort of, um, you know, very positive experience that people mm-hmm. say that they get a lot a lot out of. And the veils are one way where it's, it's almost like creating a fourth wall, mm-hmm. <laughs> a sort of safety mm. net in performance of like, I'm going to keep this performance going. And because that's how we do a performance in the space. You know, if a security guard or an invigilator wants to ask a performer something or ask them to stop, you have to maintain that focus of like, I'm in a performance. I couldn't possibly stop. You no, know, it's, right. it's, it's so what's we happening. Don't, we don't kind of respond to that if they come and talk to us whilst we're performing, but someone else might do that might be nearby, that might be helping <laughs> us out kind of thing. Uh-huh. Yeah. So we don't, we, don't break, um, we don't break the performance even if we're kind of yes. confronted or spoken to. We, we carry on yeah. with the help of the veils. I don't know how easy it would be to do that without veils, and I think that's... I don't know. I expect the Gorilla Girls to have a similar experience with their yeah. Gorilla Mask. Their gorilla yeah, because it's yeah. that similarity in a way. So it's both mm-hmm. it's anonymizing, it's mm-hmm. unifying, mm-hmm. it's a way of kind of like putting a signature on what you do and, and bringing in all that reference. You know, for us, the veils they're kind of oily in yeah. a sense. They look sort of oily, and they've got they that a lot of association about them as well. So, Morning. Yeah, you know. Fossil fossil fuels on, on the planet and all of that all of that that stuff is not a happy thing. It's it's something that we're you know we're sad about. We, we don't want it to be that way. So it, mm. but it's still got the dignity. That it, yeah, the veils really say it. I think really well. But we don't always wear them. No. <laughs> That's fascinating though because I've spoken to a number of people about veils in general and about power and the way in which many people feel empowered by wearing veils for various reasons. Whereas many people watching them think that they're signs of being disempowered. I'm I'm thinking more of various forms of Islamic law and gender issues as opposed to your situation. But it is fascinating to hear the dissonance that can exist between the notion of showing your face and not showing your face and whether or not this can be liberatory or otherwise. I think it's really fascinating. I mean, I guess the veils that we wear do um, sort of aesthetically share more similarity with a sort of more, I guess, sort of Catholic tradition of a, a widow's veil or even a, you know, like a black wedding veil Uh uh so in terms of how they look you know they don't they don't look like a hijab or a niqab right so they you know they don't necessarily have that um yeah have that resonance but yeah of course you know people's experience of wearing a veil should be what determines what they are rather than what people looking at veils think of them of course (laughs) um just to fill people in who may be new to these terms so the Gorilla Girls have been around for decades, and I guess they really got going, and along with the V-Girls, were central figures in the formation of this thing called Institutional Critique, which was about artists engaging in a problematization of the spaces in which their work circulated and so did others. And the Gorilla Girls were particularly concerned about the absence of women from the major US cultural institutions like the Museum of Modern Art that you mentioned a moment ago, other than as objects of art, not their subjects of art, and have, I guess, taken off from that since. And the South Bank, which you mentioned, Hannah, is this area on the south of the River Thames in London that has lots of cultural institutions. And am I right in saying that Shell 
has is ending its sponsorship of a lot of those events go on there at the end of this year. Is that right? So of the South Bank? Of the South Bank. So just, just of that one, it does have and other sponsorships others, that are but, continuing. But that particular area, that's um, ending, I think I read. No? I, w I wonder if you so Shell mm. um, the Shell Centre mm -hmm. um, its headquarters in London yeah. is right nearby Absolutely. the South Bank Centre yeah. Yeah. Um, and it did have some plans to move its headquarters to Canary Wharf but I think that they have changed um, I think you'd have to check the latest copy of the FT to know for sure but FT, as far as Financial I know Times. yeah sorry yeah. Um, I think there's been sort of umming and eyeing and toing and froing oh, really? okay. of whether or not they're going to move. So there is that sort of proximity that was part of the association with oh, South Bank. Right. Mm -hmm. But that, yeah, that has ended now. Right. And the Tate Modern is on the South Bank and the Thames as well. Right. And while technically the South Bank refers to just a sort of smallish part, it's right next to where the Tate is. Yeah. So it kind of, which is sponsored by BP. So there's still, and then, Tate um, Britain is on the North Bank, but further down the river, walking distance, also sponsored by BP, and what and kind of lots of the other big cultural institutions um, are also along the river because mm. London is along the river, all mm. sponsored by these big oil institutions. And if you look at them on a map, it's it's pretty um, shocking, really, because you see. All the big galleries and museums in London are all pretty much sponsored by one or the other, BP or Shell. So while they, I think they've stopped sponsoring the the, um, the classical music program at the South Bank. That was the it one I was thinking mean of. They've yeah. stopped sponsoring everything, and <laughs> it doesn't mean they won't come back again. It's kind of like it's mm. not it's not a clearly defined. Um, win, I guess. Hopefully, it will stay that way. But it's not like anyone has made any promises. And I think that we'd hope that it would be, yeah, more across the board in terms yeah. of all those institutions: yeah. mm -hmm. the National Gallery, the National Portrait Gallery, the Royal Opera House. Until it seemed like this was a significant shift from right. oil sponsorship. And for people yeah. not from here, are these public institutions owned by the government or run by boards of governors? Are they private institutions? What is their status, actually? So I think that they're probably. Let, so certainly Tate is a non departmental public body. Mm -hmm. So it receives about 40% of its funding directly from the Department for Culture, Media and Sports, uh -huh. um, which is the same for um, the British Museum and for, um, let's see the big Tate one. Tate Britain. Um, uh, the Royal Opera House is a charity thing. Yeah, the National Portrait Gallery. Oh. So they have that quite close relationship with government in a sense in that they mm. get their money directly from the department mm -hmm. rather than via the Arts Council here, which is where most other arts organisations would go to for funding and where, say, the Royal Opera House goes to for funding. And that leaves those organisations more vulnerable than the ones that are so directly tied to the state, the non-departmental public bodies. So the, the Arts Council is this arm's length model of British cultural funding that applies in some other countries, where it's public money, but it's meant to have some autonomy from the government of the day. 
What this effectively <laughs> means, however, is that very traditional national cultural institutions get ring-fenced and get their money directly from the state because they must thrive under all circumstances, like ballet and opera and sorts of things like that. Is that fair to say? Yeah. So when we say BP and Shell sponsor some of these institutions, how much of the tab are they really picking up uh, for, for all this like, will they get? Barely a biscuit. Barely a biscuit. Barely a biscuit. <laughs> yeah, barely a biscuit it, for one what's meeting. On the, is the biscuit stale? <laughs> It's a very, very oily, but stale biscuit. Slightly moldy. Very moldy, green around the gills. Yeah. So Tate have been very closed about what they will reveal around um, the, any contractual data with BP. Um, BP in 2011 made an announcement that they would continue to sponsor four institutions that we've mentioned. So Tate, Royal Opera House, British Museum and National Portrait Gallery. And at that point, BP said that they would be giving those four institutions over the next five years £10 million. Which sounds like, you know, sounds like quite a lot in the, you know, for their profits, it's nothing. But actually, over five years between four institutions breaks down, if you divide it equally, to 500,000 per year, which for Tate with an annual budget of somewhere between 80 to 100 million, depending on how you look at it, is very, very little. It's like 0.5%. So actually, (laughs) for all the kind of prestige that they get, you know, their logo is emblazoned all around Tate Britain, the sort of, you know, very prestigious building. You know, it's a very small amount of money. And I think that the it's fair to say that the kind of general public or the gallery going public, they they don't know this. Um, they think that because BP and Shell sponsor these institutions, that if you took that away, they would crumble and fold, and, and it wouldn't be free. A lot, most of these um, these galleries and museums are free. Most of the standing exhibitions are free, apart from sort of special ones that come along once every now and again um, so people think that it would stop being free but that's just not true and then for the tape I think they get most of their money from the ticket sales that they make on the paid for exhibitions that, that is, that's what keeps the, the rest and of the, the food, you know, they have a massive catering shop. wing they have a publications department yeah they have several shops that it's that sort of Tate Enterprises that brings in the bulk of their money mm. and we've tried to kind of visualise the, the, the amount that, that, that BP gives Tate and it's really hard to do because it's such a tiny amount that you can't see it so if you try and make a pie chart it's this tiny sliver that looks almost <laughs> like a sort of directional arrow it doesn't even look like it's part of it it's just all it's so small and yet they get so 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 much and even yeah even the director Nicholas Rosa was willing to say that no single sponsor could affect the capacity of the gallery to maintain free admission so this fear that people have that well BP is keeping the doors open um, BPs meaning that you know everybody can get to go to the Tay Gallery just isn't true, isn't true. and yeah. even the director will admit that. And this guy Nicholas Sorota, whom you mentioned, who I think directs all four of them, is that uh-huh. right? Yeah. Is one of the people because he's very influential internationally in the management of cultural institutions, who was pushed for a more environmentally conscious form of curation, right? He's the person who quite crucially said, cut down the heating and cut down the air conditioning that we thought was necessary to preserve certain works of art and go greener. Even as he's the person who I think said at the time of the Gulf oil spill that 
you mentioned a moment ago, we don't abandon our friends at difficult times. Yeah, just because they have a temporary difficulty. So what is it with this guy? On the one hand, he wants to be a green leader. On the other hand, he's one of the boys in an oligarchy of pale males, right? <laughs> it's, a, it's a really important and really interesting question, and I think we can actually see that it happens a lot more widely. People's willingness, particularly, you know, institutional leaders willingness to say oh well I can get my own house in order but I won't say anything about the, the other things that I'm supporting the other things that I'm um, condoning in what I do so it's very it's this thing of light bulbs in a way like oh you know I've changed my light bulbs in my house and therefore climate change is, is fixed right I've done my bit but of course it, it's bigger than that it's more than that <laughs> it's a much bigger question and for cultural institutions where you know people go to kind of understand who we are how we live what we do what the hell's going on you know they have a role to play in saying well what's okay at this time and how do we envisage what's going to happen next mm -hmm. how do we understand ourselves and to put BP in a gallery is to say oh yeah it's fine it's fine what they do and it's not fine <laughs> so you know I think there's a there's just a step that um it's, it's easier to kind of say oh well I've I've um you know changed my light bulb so what more can you ask of me um, but of course it, it is hypocrisy for him to say on the one hand, yeah, I'm, I'm making this more efficient and on the other, BP's, you know, not my problem. Mm, mm, mm. I don't know, I think there's a lot you could tease out of that discussion. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of big questions in it, so uh, it's complicated. What do you think? Well, I, yeah, it is really complicated, and, but the whole thing is really complicated and that's... I, I think maybe that's one of the reasons why we find that um, making art is a way that we make sense of it. So the performances that we make are, are um, they're, not, they're not necessarily um, always obvious what they're about, but they, they, they ask questions and they make people think. And I think that people that go into um, these cultural spaces, they're going in with that in their head already, they're kind of going in to be challenged, they're going in to look at something critically, think about whether they like it or whether they don't like it and why they why they like it or why they don't like it. So it's the perfect space to to kind of not necessarily unpick but kind of examine or look at a specific aspect of of the the oil sponsorship and then see what we think and see what other people think. It's quite experimental. Um, a lot of the time and we don't really know all of the outcomes that will come from the work mm. that we do um, but that's part of the the practice the kind of ongoing practice yeah, yeah. so it's, it's all really complicated but that's why it's really rich um, fodder for us to make work from yeah. one of the interesting things surely here is that things like the Tate Modern try to be funky and themselves <laughs> engage in institutional critique and further that idea. So there's an interesting contradiction there in the fact that they don't try to incorporate you into what they do. Or do they? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that's a, a line that we tread 
very carefully. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So one performance that we did in 2012 called The Gift, which people can look up online. The um, Gift? The Gift, yeah. You can actually watch a video on vice.com um, to see the performance. But so we assembled, 100 people assembled a 16.5 metre wind turbine blade in the Tate Modern Turbine Hall, <laughs> pun intended. Um, and we submitted it as a gift to the nation, which under the Museum and Galleries Act of the UK, 1992, you can, an artist can submit a work of art and the gallery has to consider taking it. So Tate Board had to consider taking it and they thought about it for three months. And in the end, they decided to include the documentation of the performance, so four A1 prints and film documentation inside Tate's archives. And it's a kind of, it's an interesting one for artists to be included in that archives. It's sort of like, well, you happened and you, you, you've got some significance, but we're not putting you in the actual collection. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and for us, it's especially interesting because does that mean that they've somehow co-opted us and our work? You know, our initial offering of the gift was a strategy to kind of weave our way into their system and put ourselves on the in front of the board mm. force them to have a discussion mm. mm -hmm. it wasn't it wasn't necessarily to get our work displayed in the tape no it wasn't our ultimate aim yeah but I think I think it can go both ways you know the fact that we're in the archives means that we're we're here to stay we're not a kind of temporary sting right. that disappears but actually this, you know, this is continuing, they can't ignore it, we're not mm. just going to wash away. Mm. Um, so in that sense, it strengthens our case, you know, at the same time as wanting to be careful that we don't get brought too close. And I think that's just a, a continual tightrope to walk, in a sure. sense. You want recognition, you don't want incorporation, yeah. you want to have an impact, you don't want to be brought into the story on their terms. Yeah, I mean, we're not looking to work with Tate, we're mm. not kind of looking to build a coalition with them as such. We're trying to um, give them a, a kind of friendly, annoying poke um, to get them to, to do the right thing. Um, but we don't want to be with, in, in them with them. Because that would be, well, that would just be inappropriate, really. So that's why we're constantly changing our kind of our our toolkit and our kind of tactics and our ways of working. Because if we if we remain if we stay too predictable, then we're no longer any. We're not kind of causing a problem. We're not a threat. We're not. They can just relax. Um, Oh, here they are again. Hello, everybody. Nice to see you again. Yeah. Anna, Mel. Yeah. So we have. <laughs> Wearing veil number we... seven and veil number six, respectively. I kind of like that sometimes. We have this funny relationship with their, with their security staff and some of their other staff, but they don't know us. You know, we don't. They recognise us, and we recognise them, and we're like hi. And, and stuff. So it's kind of interesting because you don't normally in other forms of activism you don't really get that because if you once you're sort of recognised you're that's it, the game's up kind of thing. But we're not often doing anything illegal. We're not, you know, there's no rule that says you can't assemble a 16 and a half metre wind turbine blade and turbine. There's no or at rules. least quite so specifically. Yeah, there's no, it's, it's kind of, and also Tate Modern particularly, it's not a gallery that, it's not 
it's quite kind of modern and quite forward thinking. It's not somewhere where you can't, you have to be quiet, you can talk if you want to. And it's, it's, a, vast, it's a vast repurposed industrial yeah. entity for those who haven't seen it. So it's very different from traditional British cultural yeah. institutions of mm -hmm. a national kind where the whole thing's been generated around distance between works of art which are definitely on a wall mm -hmm. and audiences. And it incorporates yeah, it incorporates quite a, a wide range of live art practice mm. into its exhibition programme. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We I mean, take Britain as slightly different. Right. Um, they're much more traditional, but they mm. still are I guess they still have live art live art practice in that in that other gallery that's mm. been there for a lot longer. Mm. Um, and the Turbine Hall particularly is a space that sometimes has great big installations in it by artists and sometimes it's empty when it's empty it's not really empty it's still a space that you can you're quite welcome to go and kind of explore and play around in and look around in so it kind of you know the tape takes off and asking um gallery goes what they think what do you think about this exhibition what do you think about that exhibition you can fill out form um leaflets in the gallery you can do it online they have questions on Twitter that you can respond to, they do vlogs about different exhibitions and we're really kind of responding to that what do you think but we're not filling out their forms to do it yeah. so we're, we're kind of, we're telling them what we think and it is an institutional critique and it mm. is a kind of like, but it is a response to their, their question. Sure. Um, well this is the new, the museums of the last 20 years have adopted a neoliberal consumerist attitude put upon them by public policy requirements, yeah. such that visitor views and satisfactions are important rather than speaking to a curatorial and oligarchic elite alone, right? I mean, they're all yeah. obliged to do this, and they all believe it, and there are lots of very good aspects to it, yeah. right? I mean, just as you all mentioned. Um, I wondered if I could ask you to give us a little bit of historical context to the different practices that you've engaged in as Liberate Tech. You mentioned, Hannah, that they've changed at different times in order to keep the security guards hopping from one leg to the other, or I hope sometimes they get to sit on a stool rather than constantly stand. Yeah. Um, what are some of the things that you guys have done? You've mentioned one or two, but is there a tendency or a trend that you could identify? I think we started working in oil. So we started with, with bringing as the oil, oil yeah. back into the gallery. Actually, yeah. different substances. Uh -huh. So firstly, molasses, which mm. has a very oily look and um, speed of, brown. yeah, mm. <laughs> it's also quite sticky on the skin, <laughs> which was a problem. So we um, found, sort of created a recipe of um, a charcoal suspension in sunflower oil, which is much softer on the skin and also darker <laughs> and sort of pours uh, kind of more freely. Can I pay a lot for this as part of exfoliation? Yeah. <laughs> Probably somewhere. <laughs> um, and so that's that's the substance that we then began using. We also used mm. black paint for one performance in which paint tubes which bore the BP logo mm. were mm. arranged by 40 performance in mm. a large circle in the turbine hall and were one by one squeezed out creating a much mm. larger version of the BP Helios logo in in an oily substance um, and that's a work called Sunflower which yeah again you can you can look at online um, so that was another sort of experiment in substances yeah. and in 
yeah, both the residue that is left and the pattern of that residue, as well as the the process in which it's yeah. I'm sorry, what did you say? Pourability, how it pourability, how it because the whole right, you know right. we're making the whole the whole thing. So the way that the oil comes out of whatever we're pouring it from, it matters and. It's kind There's of, a lot of testing that goes into that, <laughs> and how how long back in the lab, back in the liberate yeah, lab, exactly, <laughs> and, and you know how it's how it goes onto the skin. Um, one of our performances is was um, called Human Cost, and it was on the second anniversary of the, the deep first water, anniversary. first anniversary of the Deepwater Horizon explosion, and it was kind of about the human cost of the, the 11 people lost their lives in that explosion and of course countless others have had massive impacts on their lives as it's kept on um, going on onto the coastline and um, impacting on people's livelihoods. So we we took a, a man, he undressed in the middle of Take Britain, that's the really formal one, um, and it was in the um, the exhibition that was called Single Form, I think, which is a sculptural exhibition, so it's all kind of nudes and sculptural, quite traditional uh, poses. Mainly um, female nudes. Mainly female so nudes. Thinking back to the Gorilla Girls and yeah. their question, we had specifically chosen to a use a, a male figure yeah. in our performance as a kind yeah. of counterpoint to these largely yeah. female bodies. So he undressed and he went into a kind of fetal position and then we poured oil on his body and then he stayed there for 87 minutes so one minute for each day that the spill continued into the Gulf of Mexico and we had to kind of experiment quite a lot with that how would it go in his eyes would it go in his ears is it is it you know all kinds of practicalities like that but also what would it look like on his skin would he be able to get it off afterwards as well and and (laughs) Practical, <laughs> as yeah. well as aesthetic consideration. Yeah, but I think that you know, with aesthetics, we do we do always try the performance is as much um, part of it as the as the end object. So with that, we really did leave a kind of sculptural mm. object, and that image is one of the ones that's travelled furthest. I was going to say, I think the, in terms of the newspaper know, coverage I mentioned, yeah. it mm. would be the one that is consistently used. Yeah. Yes. And, and that act, action may well have gotten more attention in my, you know, amateur rendering of content analysis than anything else. I, well, I think it has. I think that part of the reason for that is it's very simple. It's very, it's very easy to understand what's going on um, in the image that we made, and and some of the others are more complex. They have more more layers, mm-hmm. so they're kind of um, they have more. Not more thinking behind them, but there's more capacity to maybe use them as jumping off points for other things. Whereas mm-hmm. human cost was. Keep going. Oh, but it's stuck. It's suddenly asking us whether we want to use a different recording device. And I've said, no, thanks. No, thanks. We're quite happy with our recording device. <laughs> <laughs> Where is the other recording device? <laughs> oh, it's the ta- it's, it's Sir Nicholas Sorota. He's under his table somewhere with a microphone. Yeah. Anyway, sorry. Yeah. yeah, human cost. But so it's other other performances did have a lot of international media attention as well. I think the the first one of the earlier performances, License to Spill, where we did something inside and outside of a Tate Summer Party in 2010, which was celebrating 20 years of BP sponsorship while the spill was ongoing. So a particularly significant moment to intervene. And I think that got a lot of attention because we went inside this elite party. You know, it was a very 
um, highbrow event. Lords and ladies and things. Exactly. Attending. A garden party, effectively. Yeah. Yeah. An indoors garden indoors party. Garden party. <laughs> and, and we went we went in and did a performance in there. So that, yeah, that drew a lot of international media. Um, but yeah, in terms of the, the practice, mm. the artistic practice and the materials, I think we, we possibly got to a point where we were like, well, what, how else can we bring BP and antagonise BP inside the gallery um, without oil, in a sense, just as a, a challenge to yeah. ourselves, perhaps. Yeah. Yes. yeah, okay. And so from that point, we brought in a block of Arctic ice when BP was proposing to drill in the Arctic. We brought in a 16.5 metre wind turbine blade, like we described. Mm-hmm. We, um, 15 people whispered the transcript of the BP trial in New Orleans while it was ongoing um, around the third anniversary of the spill. And then just recently in November, 50 people counted carbon levels in the atmosphere moving chronologically through a gallery um, that is specifically sponsored by BP. It's called the BP Walkthrough British Art in Tate, um, Britain. So again, just finding yeah different echoes and different materials to sort of complicate mm. the presence of BP mm. in the gallery. Mm. And I wonder if I could ask you guys something about visitors slash audience slash spectators. So, who are your imagined or real audiences? You've mentioned some that are online, some that are physically present. Well, I guess our primary audience would be would be Tate itself uh-huh. and BP, particularly the board of Tate and the staff of Tate. Um, the people who are thinking about thinking about these things anyway, um, or should be thinking about these things. Then there are the gallery goers, the people who are there anyway, who just happen to be there, and they're kind of in, they're kind of incidental, although they're the only ones who will see the liveness and experience the liveness of it. So while they're incidental, they're really important. Um, and then we have a kind of broader, um, a broader online audience, but they will they will have the, the performance mediated for them with. We'll have press releases and blogs and things that go out with the videos and the photographs of our performances. So they they have a kind of different experience of it that's much more perhaps um, campaign led, I guess, that will explain it more. So you get, I think, each um, audience gets a slightly different um, treatment and they'll get something different from it but that's right because the gallery goes of course they're not necessarily interested and they're not campaigning they're not necessarily interested in campaigns or or in um, activism or in politics but they are interested in art so it's right that they get this kind of slightly more opaque um, Mm -hmm. version that's the kind of purest version I guess and they're the ones who we want to think about it a bit more and go away and wonder what it was and we don't need to give them a leaflet because that would undermine their thought process and so we don't give them a leaflet. We might have an interpretation panel um, that we would put next to a, a residue that we leave behind like you have in a gallery space there's a kind of small bit of writing by a painting that explains it's what medium the piece is in and an interpretation of what it means mm-hmm. so we might have something like that but we kind of we always keep to the same form as the gallery uses 
for that. Um, yeah, I don't know if there's anything to add to that, really, is there? No, I think that's... What about our other artists? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, certainly different artists participate either in performances or in the sort of wider activities that go on around our performance work as part of the challenge to BP in, in all of the galleries. So there's been letters uh, signed by 300 artists calling on tape to drop BP. Um, so yes, yeah, certainly artists, other artists and building a kind of community and network around this issue is very important to us. And, and with that, members as a particular group of people who take members who you know pay an annual amount to be part of Tate um, and we actually we go to the Tate members annual general meeting every December because we're members too and that's what, you know <laughs> we do this out of concern for something we care about um, and actually in the most recent Tate members AGM about a third of the people present all raised their hands to say they did object to BP sponsorship so and yeah, so a few people even resigned their membership because of the BP sponsorship in that meeting. Wow. So yeah, there are these kind of these groupings that are all mm. part of yeah building that community around this issue. And there are some other. We've only got a couple of minutes left. I don't want to take too much more of your time. But there are a couple of other groups that you're allied with or have yeah. overlap with, aren't there? Maybe you could mention them. Yeah, we're in a coalition um, called Art Not Oil. Art Not Oil. Yes, and within that coalition there are other groups working creatively to get oil sponsorship out of the arts in general. So there's a, an organisation called the Reclaimed Shakespeare Company and they do really, really exciting, fun kind of intervention, soliloquies and things like that. So all their performance work is in iambic pentameter. And yeah. it's, it's, it's sort of anything related to Shakespeare, so wherever Shakespeare crops up in a BP-sponsored context, they will appear. They will be there. <laughs> and, and by the way, this South Bank we were talking about is includes or is very close to the renovated but new Globe Theatre, so it has yeah. this Shakespearean connotation as well, doesn't it, already? It does, yeah. Yeah, right. Yeah. So anyway, there's Reclaim Shakespeare Company, yeah, yeah. which is troping uh, Royal Shakespeare Company, RAC, which is a famous company, I guess, in, in London, but also Stratford-on-Avon. Yeah. Yeah. And then there's Shell Out Sounds, and they're a kind of musical choral group who do everything with song, and they kind of pop up wherever Shell is sponsoring musical events, and they do their own musical events as interventions. And then there's Science Unstained, so they're a group that looks at any kind of science or wider cultural institution relationship with, with Big Oil, with Shell or BP, of which there are several deals with the, yeah, with the Science Museum in London, the National Maritime Museum in London, um, and they follow mm. and intervene in mm. there. Wow. And in terms of Liberate Tate itself, you guys have a pretty informative website, I think, Reasonably. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty we're, reasonably. We're working on it. Yeah. <laughs> it has all our performances. Yeah. It has documentation of all our performances and it has ways of getting in touch with us. And it's that liberatetate.wordpress.com. <laughs> liberatetate.wordpress.com. Well, uh, Mel and Hannah, thank you so much for thank coming you. into the pod thank today. You. And I hope maybe after one of your next interventions, performances, practices, you'll come back 
maybe in oily rags, who knows, <laughs> and rejoin the oleaginous cultural studies podcast. <laughs> Thank you.